Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You worked all week. Work, 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 work. You didn't have time to look at your fantasy lineups. Son of a But don't be afraid. That's why we give you Weekend Fantasy Update. Woohoo! Welcome to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I was going to say welcome back, but George, this is a new show. Yeah, we've been on the air uh, since 8 o'clock this morning, uh, but uh, we were doing fantasy sports today, but I have the privilege of uh, filling the, uh, or trying to fill the big shoes of a great broadcaster on our network, uh, Camp Stewart, uh, as you usually uh, co-host this show with you, uh, uh, Weekend Fantasy Update, uh, George Kurtz, uh, I'm Joe Galena, and uh, Sean Angle uh, with you as well. How's it going there, George? You hanging in there? I mean, I know you're a, le- a little less than an hour away from uh, your Islanders, uh, you know, the, the, the playoff game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird start time, 12 o'clock today, first NHL playoff game of the day, and the Islanders are that featured game against the Penguins. Uh, let's, let's face mm-hmm. it, the uh, NBC wants to show the Penguins and Sidney Crosby. I get it. He's the draw. But, hey, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Islanders are up 2-0. It's all that matters here. Uh, this is a must-win game for Pittsburgh. They can't go down 3-0 and expect to win the series. That just doesn't happen in the NHL. I think it's happened, what, two or three times in history as the team has come back from three games, though. So, uh, must win game for Pittsburgh. First game uh, at home in the series for Pittsburgh. And they, what are they, what's the old saying? A series really, really doesn't begin until you lose your first game at home. That's when a series begins. Mm. Uh, that's what they have t- obviously, for the team that holds home field advantage here. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Joe. One hour away. How much should that affect uh, betting on this game in terms of, you know, you mentioned the Penguins having their back up against the wall and uh, actually being a good team, right? The the Islanders uh, were the underdog to start the series. But, uh, you know, what's going on regarding, uh, you know, the, the, the betting action or line or what would you do? You know, taking emotions out of it, of course. Well, I'm pretty good at taking emotions out of it. Uh, I actually, listen, I thought Pittsburgh would, go, would win game two. I didn't think they'd lose game two. I, mm. Game one, I wasn't surprised because, once again, playing in, uh, well, what do they call it, the Westbrook, NYCB Theater, whatever they call it, the Nassau Coliseum now, that's an old barn, which means the fans are right on top of you and they are loud. You can say whatever you want mm-hmm. about uh, the Islanders. The fans are loud. So uh, that was the issue there. You know, that was going to be tough, very tough just to, uh, to assume you could, uh, you could go in there and win game one. You know, and so I don't. Th- I don't think mm-hmm. that was a surprise at all. The Islanders won Game One, but you would have thought that Pittsburgh would have uh, uh, re-energized and re-figured things out and come uh, came out better. Even though they scored, the, they scored the first goal of Game Two, but then the Islanders scored the next three. It was just the Islanders played a better game. Pittsburgh didn't adjust as well. So uh, surprising mm-hmm. there. As for the betting line today, Islanders Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh's minus one ninety. 
So Vegas is telling you we think Pittsburgh's going to win the game. You know, by far the biggest mm-hmm. spread of the series. Islanders are plus 160 if you want to go that direction. Uh, minus one. It's funny, though. The Islanders are minus 185. You want to take plus one and a half. You think the, uh, you know, if you want to take that, you want to take minus one and a half with Pittsburgh on the money line. It's, only, it's plus 155. I would go that direction. Over under is five and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's about right. So I'm not taking that. So I like the money line for Pittsburgh. I'll take the... The minus one and a half, I think. Because uh, if you think they're, they're going to win, going to win, you'll take the minus one and a half. It means you think they're going to win by mm-hmm. a goal anyway. All you need is an empty net goal, or then just be winning the game easily, and they they cover that. So I like Pitt, I like Pittsburgh in this game on the money line minus one and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, sure I'm sorry. On, on the puck line, date. puck line, puck line, not money line. Puck line. Okay. All right. Yeah. Get not it the right. Money line. Get Don't it right, like George. the money. All right. All right. So, George will keep us up to date uh, on that game. Uh, you know, we, we, we're here uh, for the next uh, uh, a little less than three hours or so, and we'll be talking, uh, covering that game. Uh, if you were listening uh, to uh, Fantasy Sports Today, we've been going down uh, and uh, analyzing some of the box scores from last night's action in baseball and uh, also trying to project uh, forward uh, what uh, that means to your uh, fantasy teams. And uh, keep you up to date on uh, what's going on with the uh, lineups trickling in. Uh, the uh, Red Sox have their lineup in. No Andrew Benintendi today. Uh, we talked about how uh, the Yankees lineup, uh, the bottom half of their lineup, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, has Brett Gardner, uh, Gio Urshela, Kyle Higgis Shioka, uh, Mike Tuckman. So it's kind of like uh, George. Uh, Good description. He called it like a, a spring training kind of lineup, too. So we'll keep you up to date on lineups as they come out. And uh, maybe we'll finish with uh, some of these box scores. But also we've got Chris Mitchell, uh, staff writer at Fantrax, coming up uh, in the next segment. Uh, talk to us about uh, baseball trends, noteworthy stuff that's going on in fantasy as well. Uh, keep an eye on uh, DFS. Maybe uh, Georgia in that uh, 1140 segment, we could, uh, maybe – uh, start uh, talking a little DFS action, uh, but uh, we talk. Uh, Orioles uh, uh, beat the Red Sox nine to five uh, yesterday. Orioles six and nine. Red Sox now five and ten. Uh, Chris Davis got the monkey off his back. George three for five, four runs batted in. Uh, Jonathan VR two for four, batting three hundred two. Uh, was caught stealing. Trey Mancini uh, afterthought in so many drafts. Uh, I actually uh, you know, took him late in a couple of teams. Been very happy with his production. Two for five. Uh, 339 batting average now. Uh, Christian Vasquez, uh, catcher for the Red Sox, two for four, hit a home run, uh, four runs batted in. Rick Porcello, he's got an ERA over 11, George. Four innings pitch, five walks, three earned runs given up. But Red Sox as a team, obviously struggling at five and 10. 8.09 ERA from their starters as a team. That's last in baseball. Uh, we're going to start stacking. Uh, you know, DFS lineups against Red Sox starters. We get uh, David Price today. He's had his issues as well. Yeah, we'll talk a lot about the Red Sox with Chris Mitchell uh, next segment. As Chris is a from the Boston area and is a Boston fan. So uh, we'll see what's mm. going on there. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> he just texted me, by the way. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what he, he texted me. Uh, like a, a teddy bear with a bat in its mouth. I don't, I don't know what this means. Huh. No idea. That's, that's weird. That's what the, the text I get. <sighs> yeah. It's a, it's a little strange to put it nicely here. Well, uh, well have him explain himself. At, uh... <laughs> yeah, he's going to have to. I don't know what this means. Uh, stop stop explaining. 
it's a teddy bear, you know, it's a baseball bat in its mouth. Uh, it's happy. It's got mm-hmm. a, a hat with a, uh, an emblem of a D and a shirt says D on it, too. So I don't know what that stands for. Dumb? Mm. We'll see. I don't know. You have to we'll ask see him. what's going on there. <laughs> I, we, we will ask him. All right. So, uh, uh-huh. by the way, in the, in the Maristers, by the way, we shouldn't, we shouldn't just ignore the Maristers here. Uh, Francisco Molinari has a three-stroke lead over Tiger Woods, Ian Poulter, Brooks Kopka. That's what I pronounce. Koipka? K-O-E-P-K-A. Whatever how you pronounce that, that's what he's going to lead over. And Tony Finau. Uh, so he's got a three-stroke lead over four players here. So, uh, and the Masters. We'll see how that works out for him. All right. Very good. Yeah. I mean, uh, does it look like this thing is going to go down to the wire? Because that's when it gets uh, three uh, you know, exciting for me. I'm not a really big uh, you know, golf guy. I know you play golf, right? You're a big golfer, uh, right? You play the, the game? Yeah, I'm not a DFS guy you know, or, or a golf mm-hmm. or anything like that. No, no, well, me, I'm not going to be betting yeah. on golf. No, but you actually play but the I, game. I do, <laughs> yes, I do. I do play the game. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoy uh, – mm-hmm. you know, Are saying you, you enjoy playing golf, it probably isn't the truth. depends on what you consider good. Right? Mm-hmm. It all depends on what you consider good. Uh, it's uh, – I don't know if anybody ever really truly enjoys playing golf because there are a lot of four-letter words that will come out of your mouth, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I do uh, – I do play golf, and I, uh, I, think, I think it's a lot of fun. You go with the right guys, it's a blast. Uh, I'm okay. I'm certainly not going to embarrass myself. On most courses, I'm going to shoot uh, somewhere in the 90s, you know, 95, somewhere around there. Easier courses, I might get to the 80s. Harder courses might get uh, to the high 90s, low 100s. But uh, as I said, I won't embarrass myself. I'm not the uh, – I can, I can drive the ball at, at times 250, 275, but generally I'm just looking to hit it in the middle of the green, which means I don't swing as hard. You know, hit it 220, get it in the middle, and go from there. Hmm. All right. Very good. Uh, another couple of games I'll just go over real quick. Yankees beat the uh, Red Sox 4 nothing yesterday. Uh, got to like what you got out of CC there, George. Uh, one hit ball for five innings. Pitch well. Pitch very well. Yankees mm-hmm. one hit uh, the White Sox yesterday, by the way, the overall pitching staff. Uh, Domingo Germán came on and got the win in that game. Chapman came on in the ninth inning. Uh, just shut the door there as well. So, yeah, CC looked good. Missing his uh, pitches very well. He admitted uh, after the game that he was very nervous. You know, first started of him, this mm-hmm. was opening day. Now he was nervous. The right. It's coming in. But uh, it all went well. You know, he kept the White House mm-hmm. off balance completely. Uh, CC, remember last year, he had the, uh, uh, the lowest – Hit uh, velocity, whatever they call it. Soft that hit rate or something? Yeah. Soft hit, I guess like, we'll call it uh, soft hit rate. Yeah, yeah. 84, yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that. Somewhere mm-hmm. around 84%. Yes, yes. So the team, yes. it's because the batters are so used to hitting those those high fastballs, they can't adjust the CC right away, which is why you don't want him going right. the third time to the lineup because then they will make adjustments by then. The first two times, though, not so much. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's see, he pitched well. Pitched well, got the Yankees back on the uh, the right path here. Hopefully, tonight, if you're a Yankee mm-hmm. fan, and I am, so are you, hopefully Tanaka does the same today. Right, absolutely. Uh, so, Twins beat the uh, Tigers four to three. Uh, Michael Pineda, six innings pitched, th- three runs, five Ks, no walks. Uh, what have your impressions of uh, Michael Pineda been? Uh, we spoke about him briefly yesterday. Uh, going six innings—that's got to be uh, encouraging, no? Pineda's been good, not spectacular, but good. Uh, I think with Pineda, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep going back to the same thing. I think they want to build him up to get him better and better, just coming back off the injury shoulder. And they want him uh, you know, to get better and better. And uh, I mm-hmm. think that's what they'll do here. Pitch six, he was okay. Yes, it wasn't great. You know, three three runs, so, but he got the win. Uh, 
fantasy wise, I think he's a good SP four, SP five with upside. Not someone who's going to win you a league. He's not going to be an ace, but I think he could eventually be an SP three. Someone you can rely on game in, game out. It's uh, the ball ballpark is neutral. I think it edges towards pitchers a little bit, and uh, the team is can hit. So you get some W's there because they can out they can out slug opponents at times here. So I'm I'm a Pineda believer. I am. Hmm. Uh, Blake Parker in for uh, save number three on the season. Uh, what's going on with the Twins bullpen? Well, you know what? I think they were waiting for someone to break out. Actually, I think we were all waiting for that mm-hmm. someone to break out, so we that that we could get that uh, that we could get that player in our lineup, whoever it's going to be. Right now, it's it's Blake Parker, and in my home league, mm-hmm. I'm going to claim Parker. Matter of fact, I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to claim uh, Parker because uh, I, I think he's the guy who's the closer right now. Is he going to last all season as the closer? Who knows? Trevor May could get it. You know, they have a couple of other guys who could be in the mix here. So it's a problem. But right now, he's got the last three saves pitched well. He's pitching clean saves. Do I think he lasts all season? Mm-hmm. No. But he is the guy for now, and I think he might get a little bit of a long run. And I'll have to, I think he'll be fine against you know terrible teams, but closing out against the Yankees or against the Red Sox, teams that can hit, yeah, he may have some issues. All right. And uh, Byron Buxton was one for two yesterday uh, in the Twins win, batting 300 on the season across 30 at-bats. Uh, three stolen bases on the season. Uh, batting ninth in that lineup. Uh, he's had his issues in the past. Obviously, uh, you know, his glove has kept him, uh, you know, in in the lineup, but uh, do you think that uh, you know, he had a decent spring, and uh, do you think that maybe he's finally turned the corner? I want to think so. I want to think that. I truly do. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got him on a couple of teams here, mainly because the stolen bases. I need the bags. Uh, but he mm-hmm. looks like he's hitting. Got a little banged up for a little bit. Was out for a couple of days, but he's hitting now. So I want to think so, mm-hmm. but it's too early for me to tell you that for sure. Yeah, I think it's too early that. But he had a, a good spring for the most part. Good start to the season for the most part. So I have hope. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'll give you. I have hope. Like I said, he's, he's in my lineup uh, a couple of leagues. I'm hoping he uh, keeps up there. But uh, to tell you it's a definitive that, oh, yeah, you can trust him from here on out. No, I'm not willing to go that far. By the way, a couple little lineup things mm-hmm. for you, Joseph. Uh, Fam, Tommy Fam is yeah, yeah. out for the Tampa Bay Rays. Archer will begin serving his suspension, so maybe you don't want to start him this week in fantasy. You maybe you want to bench him in the uh, mm. weekly lineup leagues, although he could be eligible to start again once again, uh, what, Saturday, uh, Friday, actually, so mm-hmm. you'll be fine there, uh, depending on how many off days they have. And the Boston Red Sox have made a change. It's now Jackie Bradley Jr., who's out of the lineup, and Ben Attendee is back in. No reason as to, they haven't given a reason as to why uh, JBJ is out. Could be that they want the better bat in the lineup, but maybe JBJ is sick, whatever it might be. JBJ out, Ben mm-hmm. Attendee back in. Gotcha. Uh, also, I noticed that uh, JT Rio Muto out for the Phillies. That happens often when, yeah. you know, catchers, Catcher. uh, you know, think, yeah, yeah. So just uh, keep track of that So uh, as well. Uh, last Last game uh, in the two minutes we have uh, left that we didn't get to in the earlier show. Angels 6-5 over the Cubs. Uh, the Troutless Angels. So uh, I, I think what they're saying that they're going to reevaluate him uh, tomorrow, right? I mean, uh, you wonder if they're going to eventually put him on the IL and backdate it or whatnot. I don't know why they haven't already done this. I mean, it's a 10-day. Mm-hmm. He's already missed four days. All right, I don't know if they're right. off tomorrow or not, but uh, he's already missed four days, so just put him on the IL. Make sure the, the groin's healthy and he'll be back next Sunday. I mean, why wouldn't you just mm-hmm. do that? I understand it's Mike Trout and you don't want to do it, and I get the Angels need to win every game, but why risk it? Why risk it? 
You know, so uh, it's a profit fantasy owners. You'll certainly need to be paying attention in weekly lineup leagues, and I do have Trout in the league, so I'll be paying attention, you know, to find out if he's going yeah, to be in the I lineup. Yeah, I have him in the league as well. Right, and uh, I'm not happy about it, mm-hmm. but I, I just wish they would. I'm just worried that by the time uh, first game tomorrow, and I don't know what time first game is, if it's a 1 o'clock uh, day or if it's going to be a 7 o'clock night, that we won't know. Remember, Angels, West Coast team. They're not going to operate the same. We may not find out before a lineup set. Depending on how your league works, if it's uh, set before the first game or, the, or before that player plays. And then if it's before the player plays, do you have somebody else available you can put in that night who hasn't played yet? So it's very confusing. Right. That's what's going on with Trout. But I'll tell you, Joe, for me, it's always been very simple. When in doubt, I generally play the player I know is going to play. But Trout does test sure. that theory. Yeah. And look, for me, uh, if I have the luck in, in one league to own him. Hey, if the Angels want to you know, sit him out an extra week... I'm fine with it because uh, I'm just worried that this this turn into a long term. I'd rather him get fully healthy and not have to re-aggravate this uh, this injury. We'll be back with Chris Mitchell from Fantrack on the other side. Weekend Fantasy Update, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Welcome back. Weekend Fantasy Update. I'm George Kurtz. He's Joe Galina in for Cam Stewart. Cam is in Vegas doing Vegas things. We'll see what Cam's up to tomorrow when he returns. Uh, hopefully everything went well for Cam. It seemed to be going well through Friday. We'll see how the weekend brought, uh, what, what, what the weekend brought, Cam. Joining us now, we have Chris Mitchell, Fantrax. He does baseball, football podcasts. Uh, that'll be coming out the next week or two. He's uh, You can follow him at Twitter, at CJMitch73. Uh, Chris and I have been working together for years. Uh, we did the Evil Empire in the Nation, which is a, a fun podcast to do. That was a Yankee Red Sox podcast. And I think uh, I don't think, uh, when you talk to Chris, he's not your typical Red Sox fan who's rah-rah Red Sox. He, he gives you his true feelings mm-hmm. on it, which is something I've always appreciated. That's why I enjoyed working with him with the podcast. Don't want a rah-rah guy. I want a guy who... Uh, who I tell you what he really feels. So, Chris, how you doing this morning? I hear you're down in Virginia on vacation. Yes, good to be on. What a, is there a better time to, to love sports than right now? I mean, you've got the Masters going on, the NBA playoffs. I'm not an NBA fan, but you've got the NBA, NBA playoffs about to begin. You've got the NHL playoffs, which I believe is the best event in all of sports outside of the majors in golf because I'm a, a golf crazy. And then you've got the 2019 Major League Baseball season off to a start that I don't think anybody expected. I mean, if we look at back at last year and then you look at this year, we all thought the American League was pretty predictable. The Yankees and the Red Sox are going to be the East. The Indians are going to win the Central, and Houston's going to run away with the West, and maybe Oakland will look good. You've got the Mariners. You've got the Twins. You've got the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, what a, what a great time to love sports, and to make it even better, April is, all, is raining like crazy, so everyone can sit inside and watch it all. 
<laughs> yeah, he's right. Up in the uh, northeast, I think it's supposed to rain most of next week uh, here. So, uh, yeah, we can sit inside and watch everything. You know, real quick about the Masters. Uh, what's uh, what's going on? You're a bigger golf uh, guy than I am. I did do a quick update. But what's going on on the Masters? Well, the biggest story probably is that Tiger Woods is in contention in a major again. Uh, he's been playing pretty well over the last couple seasons, but uh, – he hasn't really broke through. He's won, some, he's won a couple of tournaments, but he hasn't been that dominant monster that he was in his prime. And now he's sort of an underdog in a way. It's weird to say it, but Tiger is an underdog, and he's within a few strokes. Uh, Francesco Molinari, I guess, would, would be the biggest story if Tiger didn't overwhelm everybody. Whenever, you know, whenever Tiger gets on the scene, he seems to overwhelm everything. But uh, Francesco Molinari looks like he could run away with this thing on Sunday on, a, on an early start because of the bad weather. I don't think they've ever started the Masters uh, this early on a Sunday due to weather, but they had to start at 9 a.m. today. And Molinari looks uh, pretty good. Uh, the leaderboard is filled with some good players. Tiger's right there. But right now, if not for Tiger, Molinari winning a possible Masters would be, a, would be the story probably. Well, thank you for that, Chris. So now we have our Masters. Uh, I said Chris knows more about golf hmm. than I do. I'm a golfer, but I don't follow golf, so that's why I asked Chris that. But one question I did want to ask you, Chris. All right, uh, you're from the Boston area. You're a Red Sox fan. What the hell's going on with that pitching staff, Chris? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it has to get better. That's one of the crazy things about fantasy sports at this time of the season is that people either fall in love with a player who's hot, like an Austin Meadows or a Pete Alonzo with the Mets, or they get scared to death of guys who look terrible. And, of course, when it comes to pitching, you say, oh, my goodness, Chris Sale's velocity's down. We always hear about those pitchers whose velocities are down. I remember when Justin Verlander's career it was over a couple of years ago, and now he's back to being an ace. Um, the, the one good thing about it is there are going to be players that regress, and you've got to figure if you're a Red Sox fan or a Chris Sale owner that things are going to get better. The one thing you have to be careful about is that you're going to be barraged with offers right now, low-ball offers of saying, look, Chris Sale may I've, – I've heard one guy that I work with, uh, Seth Klein, over at Frantrax said that uh, in one of, uh, one of his questions, it asked him there was a trade of Chris Sale for um, uh, who was Luke Voigt. That was essentially the trade. Chris Sale for Luke Voigt. And I'm what? like, that's almost a trade. <laughs> I'm like, that's tra- they were a secondary piece. I mean, I think there was like a secondary piece involved, but it wasn't a meaningful one. And it wasn't a dynasty league. Mm-hmm. It was a yearly league. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't believe in vetoing trades as a commissioner, mm-hmm. but that trade is so ridiculous. It makes me nauseous. And he's like, well, he raised the idea that maybe Chris Sale needs Tommy John surge. I mean, that is just so outlandish and speculative. That I'm like, those are the kind of crazy things that goes on right now. So when it comes to the Red Sox, it looks ugly. They weren't the best team in the American League last year. So to see them struggling is, is bad. But, I mean, they really didn't. They earned it. What was great about the Red Sox last year is they earned the World Series. They weren't better than the Astros. I thought they were better than the Yankees all around. But on the top end, I thought the Yankees would probably had a little bit of a better, you know, the stars of their team. But I did think the Red Sox were a better all-around roster. But you look at some of those other teams and, and, and a couple of those National League clubs, the Red Sox weren't the best team, and yet they won it all. So it doesn't surprise me that maybe they'd stumble this season, but it, it doesn't look good right now. They don't care about having a closer, so then they're not going to sign Kimbrell. But like I was trying to get to at the very beginning, Chris Sale's going to get better. David Price is going to get better. And that's probably it. The, the problem is they've started so slowly. Can they get to 95 wins to, to win the division or 91, 92 to get the wild card? It's still well within reach. It's way too early to say they can't. But um, regression means a good thing if you're a Chris Sale owner because he can only get better. He can't get worse than this. He had one. He had one strikeout the other day in one of his starts. So that's just not Chris Sale. 
Chris, before we get off Boston, let me ask you. You mentioned the closer. I do the closer report. Ryan Brazier got the last save. Uh, I guess in your expert opinion, is he now the closer for Boston? Are they going to give Barnes another shot? Is it just committee, whoever they feel like throwing in there? What do you think is going to happen in ninth innings where they have a three-run lead or less? Well, what makes your closer report so good is that it's always changing. It's always churning. I think with Alex Cora being one of those modern managers who, I mean, in theory, he probably doesn't even believe in a closer, to be honest. A lot of these new guys, the theory is that you pitch your best reliever in the most important moment. Sometimes that's the seventh inning. Sometimes that's the ninth inning. You don't really know. I think you know, by instinct or just by gut, he wants to do that. And that may allow him to move Matt Barnes around because I don't think that Matt Barnes is a natural closer. I don't think he has the mentality for it. He's got the fastball and the breaking ball. Both of them can be nasty. But he lacks the consistency, and I just don't think he has the mindset or just that, that thing that ninth-inning guys kind of are supposed to have. So while he has the best arm, I think Brazier is best suited for the ninth. And in, in Cora's mind, I think he would rather be able to move Barnes around because he is the best reliever. I just don't think he has the mentality to be their best ninth-inning guy. So I think that Brazier can definitely lose the job because if he has some struggles – nobody has this thing locked down. But I think if, if push comes to shove and everything's equal, I think Brozier is going to probably be the ninth inning guy more often than not, and Barnes is going to come in in those key situations in the seventh and eighth inning where Cora likes to show that he's a genius. You know, last year, every decision he made worked. I think he's going to want to move Matt, Matt Barnes around in the, in the seventh and eighth. So um, if I had to pick, I, I'd lean Brazier, but – Again, Barnes has the better stuff, and usually most people think that whoever has the better stuff is the guy who's going to be the closer, and, and Barnes does have the better stuff. All right. So, uh, Chris, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I was reading your Noteworthy and uh, Trends article on Fantrax. Everybody should uh, definitely read an excellent read, uh, bringing some uh, very good issues. Now, uh, Tampa Bay, we, we, uh, the Rays obviously uh, – off to a hot start, 90-win team last season. Uh, you talked about them. Do you think they have what it takes to, to basically uh, at least replicate what they did last year? Uh, and, and talk about maybe one or two players that you either like uh, to continue their uh, hot streak or maybe one or two that you think uh, might regress, that maybe they're playing over their head right now. Well, the uh... Alvarado looks fantastic. I mean, his, just watching his stuff, it, it looks pretty nasty. So if you're looking for someone in the relief situation who probably should be a closer for the entire season and be dominant, you obviously got to like him. I think Snell is, has proven that the dude's an ace. He's a monster. Uh, so from the, those perspectives, I love both of those guys. I don't see regression coming from those two. Uh, if you want to look at some of the guys who regress, Tyler Glass now has been a guy that's really gaining some significant momentum. He's got 21 strikeouts and 17 innings pitch. He's got an ERA almost at a half, not 5.53. Mm-hmm. So he's been fantastic. He has a fantastic arm. He has some fantastic stuff pitch-wise. His curveball can be nasty at times. His slider, I think, is pretty good as well, and he throws upper velocity. But command has always been a significant problem with him. The reason why the, the, the Pirates were willing to move along from him is that they didn't know if he would be a reliever or a starter. He's going to be fantastic in stretches, but he's going to be have command issues, and that even means command in the zone, which sometimes results in home runs. So I think Glass now is going to have uh, some regression. On the offensive side, uh, everyone's in, in love with Austin Meadows. Uh, for me, I never really loved him that much. Again, another guy that coming out of Pittsburgh who they moved on from, who's now succeeding. He's not a 30, 35, 40 home run guy. 
Uh, and right now he's on pace. He's got six home runs already in 14 games. So he's on pace for something like that. He's not going to hit 385 either, and he's not going to have an OPS of 1.255. So Austin Meadows, everybody loves him. To me, he just doesn't profile to be a special fantasy player. But right now he's on pace to be a 30 home run, 20 stolen. He could steal 20 bases. He's got a couple steals. I don't think that's the case. He, I've always seen him as a 15 to 20 home run guy and a you know maybe 10 stolen bases, which is okay if you get him at the you know the late rounds and and you sneak him in as maybe your fifth outfielder. But right now we're hearing things like you know you got to keep him, don't trade him unless you get a significant offer. I would be selling high on him. I, I think regression is is definitely coming for him uh, from, from that perspective. And a guy that I find intriguing, I'm not in love with him, but he's a he's probably available in a lot of leagues. Uh, Brandon Lowe. Rookies don't usually have big seasons. I don't expect yep. a big season from him, but he's having a lot of opportunities, getting a lot of at-bats, and he's a pretty good hitter. So if, you, if he's on the waiver wire and, and it's a deep league, I, I kind of like him. Tommy Fan, I believe in. Two, two home runs, five stolen bases. I, I think he'll get better. He's actually a guy that I think will improve going forward. I thought he was a, a really good draft day value. Chris, you know, something I talked with Joe about uh, in the first segment of the show, but I'm going to talk to you about it now because I've just – Got new information uh, that I probably should have looked at the first time. Baltimore and Boston play at 11 a.m. tomorrow, which means lineups have to be set very early. Here's your PSA, by the way, boys and girls. Uh, they had the Boston, you know, that early Boston game in April tomorrow, 11 a.m., which you set your lineups early in a weekly lineup league. I bring this up, uh, Chris, because Mike Trout, all right, he's uh, out, weekend series gone, was never going to play. And now in a weekly lineup league, if you're if you're one of those leagues where all oh, the lineups have to be set by first game, that's 11 a.m. You're unlikely, unlikely to know about Trout if he's going to play tomorrow mm. or he's going to play Tuesday, because that's 8 a.m. L.A. time. They're not going to give you any information. They're going to be in Texas. I think Trout's still in L.A. Uh, so even in Texas, it's 10 a.m. You're unlikely to know. If you're a Mike Trout owner, Chris, do you risk it? You know, or do you, or do you automatically say, you know what, I'm not I'm not taking a zero for the week or taking a zero for four days? Or is Trout worth the risk? Where, yes, I'll take the chance. What are you doing if you're a Mike Trout owner in a weekly lineup league? Well, one of the things that I do every week over at Fantrax, Fantrax is I do a hitting planner. And the first couple articles of the season, I've been focusing on the disparity between five games versus seven. Uh, for example, this week in my article, I think it should be posted on Fantrax right now. Uh, but uh, if not, it should be later in the day. I'm, I'm recommending you start, you sit styling Marte this week because he only has five games and he's got a, a couple, uh, he's got three or four right-handers. Usually styling Marte is a must-start guy, but because he's got five and your alternatives may be seven, I'm actually recommending you sit Marte. Trout's got seven games this week, so if he does miss two, he still plays five. And while you will like to see a team, you, you know, if you're going to choose between two players, I'd rather have a guy who has six games rather than five or obviously seven versus five. But Mike Trout's the best guy in the world. He's the best player in, in, all, in the entire globe. So I would follow as closely as you can up to the last possible second. And as long as you feel like you're 70% solid that he's going to play, then even if he sits out Monday and Tuesday, that's fine. I, Mike Trout for five games is a must-start player. It doesn't matter who he's playing. It doesn't matter who the matchups are against. I mean, if he's out against Blake Snell and J- Justin Verlander and, and the five best pitchers in all of baseball, I'm still starting Mike Trout in a five-game week. So – I would follow it up to the last possible second, but as long as you feel 70, 75% sure, I, I got to put him out there. Cause I can't imagine, even if he only plays four games, I can't imagine you starting somebody else mediocre over him. Now, if it's a shallow league or you have a three outfielder league where you could have all stars on all three of those outfield spots. Well, in that situation, then that's a little bit different, but in normal leagues with five outfielders, 
again, as long as I feel about 75% confident that he's going to play at least four or five games, I'm, I'm starting him. I can't sit that guy. Hey, Chris, I was, I was reading about uh, your uh, take on uh, Blake Swihart and uh, Red Sox catcher and kind of his fantasy relevance uh, from a couple of different perspectives, which I think is kind of – it's an interesting take. Uh, you know, forward thinking, you know, uh, not only from his offensive but his defensive, uh, you know, capabilities. So talk, talk a, a little bit about what you, what you wrote about because I, I think it's got a pretty good take on that. Yeah, he, he's a guy that when he was drafted, he was drafted as an offensive player. You didn't know if he was going to be a catcher or like an outfielder, but they, you know, the, the teams, organizations, they, they, they just crave any offense from catcher. So anybody who could maybe, sure. maybe can mold into a borderline catcher, you know, they draft him and hope to keep him there. Swihart's one of those guys that's been able to stay at catcher. He's not a very good defender. The rumors and the talk out of Boston is that he doesn't handle the pitches very well. There was even a rumor in the first week of the season that he actually didn't apply the plan, the, the, the game plan to the game. So you go into a, in a, to a game with pitcher matchups and who you, how you're going to face certain guys in certain ways and that he actually didn't follow the plan. So the, none of those things mm. are very good. And I think that could be part of why some of these Red Sox pitchers aren't doing well. He's not catching a lot, so it doesn't explain why the Red Sox have struggled almost universally all the time so far in the season. But it is something to watch, and I am going to be uh, keep in tune with it, is that there are certain ca- catchers that pitchers just like throwing to better. They're smarter. They make better game plans. They call better games. And then, of course, pitch framing and things like that come into play as well. It looks like Swihart is, is below average or even worse when it comes to a lot of those things. But offensively, he, he's, he could hit 25 or 30 home runs if he ever gets it together. Uh, he's only got one so yeah. far, but, but the Red Sox team committed to playing him at catcher. He's going to qualify a catcher, I think. And since the position fantasy-wise is so poor, uh, I'm big on him, yes. but I would. Again, I would if, you're, if you own a sale or a price, you're going to start them no matter what. But I'd watch out and hope that maybe Swihart becomes a favorite of one of the other pitchers so you're not stuck with him when your guy goes out there, whether it's price or sale. All right, Chris. We have a break in about uh, about two minutes here. Can you uh, can you stick with us through the break? Absolutely. All right. So uh, with no reason to rush the uh, this conversation here, because you mentioned pitch framing, and I'm going to bring up my pet peeve. Because uh, part of the reason why, you know, pitch framing goes away if they ever go to a, a robot arms, right? Quest Tech, K-Zone, we get rid of pitch framing. What, how do you feel about robot arms? Do you, do you want to, I hate the home plate umpire, Chris. I think you know this. I hate the home plate umpire. I'd like to see uh, some kind of Quest Tech, some kind of K-Zone, something like that. What are your feelings? Do you think we should go to a computerized strike zone? You know, I'm conflicted on, on those kinds of things. I, one of the interesting arguments on Twitter, which is a cesspool of stupidity in a lot of cases, but one of the arguments that I saw oh, during March Madness, another part of why April is fantastic, when March, late March, early April is great for sports, is when um, in the final game, the, the ball was knocked out of bounds, and it was clearly knocked out by the one team, but instant replay was able to slow down the play so much that it turned out that it, the ball basically skimmed the other guy's pinky. So the guy who knocked it out, his team actually got the ball because at the last possible second, the ball just skimmed the guy's pinky, and so therefore it was out on him instead. And that really was the play that probably decided the game. So uh, Texas Tech uh, kind of got shafted, even though technically the call was made correctly. It was out on the Texas Tech player, but it was, it was pushed by the other team. And so that's what I think of when the ump. I like having the ump behind home plate. I like having it, that, that, that part of the game. And baseball is an in, imperfect sport. 
but some of these umps are really bad. So I'm All right, Chris, we'll, we'll, um, get, we'll get back to this, Chris. We'll get back. Weekend Fantasy Update. Joe Galina, George Kurtz with Chris Mitchell. We'll be back. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Welcome back. Weekend Fantasy Update. I'm George Kurtz. Joe Galena in for Cam Stewart, who's in Las Vegas. Uh, Cam's heading home to, uh, tonight. You'll see uh, Cam on Game Time Decisions tomorrow. And Cam and I will be back together next Saturday from 11 to 2. No Sunday show. Sunday we'll, uh, we'll observe Easter because Joe Galena is going to be in the, you know, his house, house of worship all day. So <laughs> we're all observe, observing Easter. Don't look now. But NFL teams are focusing on the 2019 NFL Draft with the first round on Thursday, April 25th. And for serious fantasy football players, it's never too early to start preparing for the 2019 season. Real Experts has you covered with their NFL 365 fantasy football package, including the best math-based seasonal projections and rankings available anywhere on the Internet. Davis Maddock and the Roto Experts are providing dynasty, season-long betting, best ball, and NFL draft content every day of the year to give you an edge regardless of what type of fantasy football you play. Save 10% at RotoExperts.com with promo code FNTSY. That's a 10% off with promo code FNTSY. It's the NFL 365 Fantasy Football Package only at RotoExperts.com. So Chris Mitchell is still with us. Chris Mitchell from Fantrax. You can follow Chris at, at CJ Mitch uh, on Twitter, which, by the way, uh, I do. Chris is uh, very knowledgeable uh, out of the Boston area. But like I said, not one of those Boston fans who believes he, uh, you know, the Red Sox, Patriots, and Bruins. Well, he's not a basketball fan, but Celtics are God's greatest gift. He'll give you his honest opinion, which I've, like I said, I've always appreciated. So, Chris, we started off before the break about uh, robot ups. You know, my little pet peeve, I, I hate the home plate umpire. I hate them. They make so many mistakes. Joe Galina brought up a study. I think it was out of Yale yesterday. I don't remember if I'm wrong about that. Uh, but that almost 20% of uh, these pitches are called wrong, incorrectly, which in my mind is an, an incredible number here. So, uh, Chris, continue about home, the, the home plate umpire, Quest Tech, K-Zone, Robot Umps. What do you think? I'm conflicted. I mean, I, I, baseball is an experience. You're supposed to enjoy sports. It's not supposed to just be about money and gambling and, and winning. And you know, You're supposed to enjoy it, and baseball is supposed to be an experience. And if you remove the home plate umpire entirely, I, I think it diminishes just the nature of the experience. So from that perspective, I don't like the idea of having robo-umps. But at the same time, I do want them to be more consistent consistently good not consistently where they call a ball but they call it all the time even though it's a strike or vice versa so from that perspective if they are wrong as often as you're saying then i could be turned around you can't have them you know if you can't have most of the 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 bad umps wrong 40 percent of the time because that's sort of what you're saying is that if they're getting it wrong 20 percent of the time that means the good umps are 10 or 15 percent of the time they're wrong and then the bad umps are 30 35 40 percent of the time you can't have that 
So if it comes, if it turns out that studies can actually prove that their umpires getting the calls wrong 40% of the time, well, then that kind of incompetence has to be reversed. So I, I would probably come over to your side of things and say we should go robo-ump. But as long as it's not that terrible, I think the experience, it would be weird having a home-paid umpire who is essentially just standing there doing nothing, just looking like a symbol rather than actually doing anything. Or if you just removed them all together and took them off the field, it would look weird to me and it would feel weird to me. I'm sure I'd get used to it. But I, I would lean towards imperfection is fine as long as it's consistent and as long as it isn't incompetent at a rate of 30 or 40%. So I would lean towards keeping the umpires, but I'm open to, to changing it based on the, the facts of, of exactly how poor they're, they're doing right now. Well, the home plate yeah, umpire would never intense. leave because yeah. you would have plays at the plate. So he'd, he'd have to stay there. So he just, he just wouldn't have anything to do, just like, just like the base <laughs> umpires. Have nothing to do. You know, he just uh, he was cool plays. I imagine what they would do is uh, somebody would be uh, watching the computerized screen and tell the umpire, ball, and then he'd call it. You know, it's, it's sort of like that, that thing. You could have some kind of light system behind the home plate where, uh, once again, it's a strike, red light, you know, green light for a ball, that sort of thing as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, the home plate umpire, that's why no, no umpire would lose their job here. You know, you still need the uh, the guy there. Whether that they be paid as much, I don't know how that would work. But uh, you wouldn't have to worry about that. So, like I said, I, I just think it's for me, it's time has come. Yeah, it, it just comes down to the fact that they make so many mistakes. Uh, I can't stand how the veteran, the veteran hitter gets sometimes the benefit of the doubt on on a, on a strike call because oh, he must know the strike zone. The veteran pitcher versus a rookie pitcher. The rookie pitcher gets a cereal box strike zone. The veteran pitcher gets a you know, a refrigerated box strike zone. It just drives me insane. Yeah, the, whole, the high strike is never called. They can't figure out Adam Judge's strike. Adam, Aaron Judge's strike zone at all. They still think he's a you know he's a six foot guy, not six seven. So it's, it, they make so many mistakes over and over again. So, all right, I'm done with my little rant here. You're up, Joe. But you have a point. You do have a point. I, 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 I'm on board with you that you have a point. I'm just not sure if I'm so far over to your side that I'm ready to make a change that could seem drastic. But if, it, if, if the ch- switch happened and it was minor and I barely noticed, then I would definitely be on board with you as well. I'd, I'd just have to see how it plays out. Because certainly like minor leagues, they put a guy in second base next innings. I mean, that's retarded. So putting a, a pitch clock for 30 seconds, which isn't going to really that. accomplish anything. I mean, things like this are so dumb that even if the intent is good, the actual, you know, by the way, the logistics of it happening are retarded. So that is, that's an important part to me. And, and that would help decide which way I would go, because I do think you have a viable point. Yeah, the study was done, uh, George and, and Chris, by uh, Boston University. And one of the interesting things that uh, they found in the study was that the the more experienced and uh, older umpires were making more mistakes than the, the younger guys who didn't have the experience. So it's almost like, hey, you know, once you get comfortable in your job, you might not take as much, you know, pride into it. So it's an interesting study. It was done, like I said, uh, by Boston University. So uh, we'll see. I know that, that's been a pet peeve of, of George's. So I brought it up to him yesterday, and uh, obviously it resonated with him. So that's good. So, uh, but uh, on to the the Rockies. You wrote about the Rockies, and uh, you know, the, we talked about the Rockies earlier today, Chris, and their lack of offense is uh, is, is amazing, right? I think there's a team that they're batting somewhere around two hundred three. But you you brought up uh, a specific part of their offense that people don't think about. Uh, that's the stolen bases. You know, they, they have the Ian Desmonds, uh, the, the, the Trevor Stories who stole a bunch of bases last year, uh, the Garrett Hampsons, uh, the David Dahls, and, and uh, 
I don't know if it's due to the slow start because they've gotten off to a terrible start win-loss-wise as well. Maybe playing from behind that they don't want to take chances uh, about stealing bases. But talk about uh, what you, you mentioned in the article about uh, the Colorado Rockies and their uh, stolen bases because nobody thinks of them as a running team. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we talk about most in fantasy football is touches and targets. That's important. Even if a guy maybe isn't a great player skill set-wise, if the touches and targets are there, then he's an appealing fantasy option. We don't really seem to look that closely in that at, at, at fantasy baseball in that way. But, like, for example, the Milwaukee Brewers, they were a running machine last year. I mean, guys like Travis Shaw and were, were stealing bases. When Travis Shaw should be a first baseman, he plays middle infield or qualifies there, but he, he's essentially a first baseman, not even a third baseman. So attempts is, is a big part of these types of, uh, of values, and I don't think we look that closely at them. We focus on the player and whether he has the skill set, and we don't focus on how the team approaches the stolen base because some teams don't run at all. Uh, and, and so when you look at the Rockies, one of the reasons why I haven't – I've been actually – advocating for selling Blackman in in dynasty leagues, and I don't usually draft him in yearlies, is that his stolen bases are reducing to the point where now he's a batting average and home run guy, and he's still a good one. But if he regresses in any of those, the stolen bases are what made him a top five, top ten guy, and I don't believe he's that, that's the case. You look at some of these Rockies guys, and the reason why Trevor Story I thought was a great value this year was because he was a 30 home run, what, 27 steal guy last year? And, I, and so I liked him going into the draft because of that. But at the same time, he had never stolen more than like eight an entire year. And I'm thinking, you know, there's a good chance for a significant regression here. So when you look across the entire board, if the Rockies aren't going to steal bases, and it looks like at least right now, like that's against what they want to be doing, then Garrett Hampson has very little value. Because while he can hit a few home runs, his value is that he hits some home runs with a bunch of steals. If he's not running wild, then his value is reduced. And everyone loved him in draft season. So you, you look across mm-hmm. their roster, and there's a lot of players. Rymel Tapia, he's not a guy that you want to own unless he steals 30 or 40 bases, and that's if he earns playing time, which at the moment, because of injuries, he is. Um, if, but if, if philosophically the Rockies don't want to run, all of these guys, it's reduced significantly, and they suffer a little bit on the road. You know, the, the, the physical toll that they take by playing at home takes a little bit of toll on them on the road. So not only do you have the inconsistency that can come with being a Rocky, both on the mound, but also for the offensive players, if they just don't run as much, at least, as everyone else, a lot of their players, you, you know, it's almost like splits. You play the Rockies when they're at home, and then you sit them on the road. That's that's still a significantly reduction in value for 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 those kinds of players. So you got to watch those attempts. All right, Chris, the Metsies, the Metsies. Uh, Jason Vargas got lit up again. No shock here. We know he's not a major league pitcher. Uh, Mets fans here are crying, crying that the uh, team was signed Dallas Keuchel to be their fifth starter. Uh, I'm not asking specifically about the Mets, but uh, as far as Keiko and Kimbrell of concern, we heard today that, hey, Kimbrell has lowered his demands. <laughs> oh, thank you for that news update. Uh, no kidding, Ken. He's lowered his demands. Huh? If he doesn't, he's not going to have a job. Have you heard anything about where you think these two are heading, and what is your opinion on where they should head or, or what they should do? I haven't heard anything, and that's what's really strange. And I, I might have mentioned this in my column, but I definitely mentioned it on Twitter. Um, Kimbrell came out, and he, if you believe the stories, and I guess we have to, that he asked for $100 million, which would be by far and away the largest contract for a closer in history. If he did that, I can understand why nobody wanted to sign him. Or at least they will say, okay, get back to us when reality hits. But at some point, reality does hit. And for these guys, either it hasn't, which would be really strange, 
or for some reason nobody wants them and that's what's confusing to me it's, they should be there should be a middle ground somewhere for these guys and it should have definitely come like a month ago not not even now a month ago it should have come before the season and that's what i don't understand i don't understand why middle ground hasn't been found and someone has said okay uh, this guy isn't coming for free. He's not coming on a one-year pillow contract, but I get him for three years at a very good annual salary rather than the five or six that they want and the $100 million. I get him. You know, Chapman got, what, $85 million. Davis got something like $70 million, something like that. I don't understand why those contracts haven't been offered to them. Craig, Craig Kimbrell, for all of his ugliness in the playoffs last year, is one of the five best closers in all of baseball. So why he's not worth at least more than Davis and something in the neighborhood, if not equal to Rosa Chapman, when you consider his career and the fact that their ages are basically the same. If, if, Kimbrell should, if Kimbrell got a couple million more than Chapman, I don't see why someone wouldn't be willing to offer that to him. So that's confusing. Uh, the one thing I did see on Twitter that was interesting the other day is, imagine if one team swooped in and grabbed them both. That, to me, was a fascinating idea. And you look at some of these teams and you say, wow, you know what? The Twins are a team that can compete. They're winning the Central right now, and granted, they're 7-4. and four. They're not going gangbusters, but they're 7-4. and four. They've got a pretty good team. They've invested in it a little bit. Cleveland isn't the juggernaut that we kind of thought they would be or we thought they were a couple years ago, what they are now. Imagine if, the, yep. if, um, imagine if the Twins grabbed both, Keuchel and Kimbrell, or if the Mariners, who sold off everybody, they dumped salary at every turn, and it turns out they made some really great trades. Domingo Santana has been fantastic so far. I thought the Malik Smith steal was, was, a, was an outright robbery. If you want to use a pun, I thought that was such a steal. How the hell do you get rid of a, a mediocre catcher in Zanino for a guy that can hit 300 and steal 35 or 40 bases? From a fantasy perspective, I love it. But from a baseball perspective, I thought that was a great trade as well. You look at the Mariners and say, you know, Felix Hernandez is terrible. You look at some of the, you know, Michael Gonzalez is okay, but the stuff is mediocre. You add a guy like Keuchel, he can be every bit or more than what Marco Gonzalez is, and Marco Gonzalez is one of their best pitchers. And then you add essentially an Edwin Diaz through free agency. All of a sudden, the 13-4 and hot-hitting Seattle Mariners, they can finally stop disappointing their fans and, and legitimately at least go for the wild card. I mean, I, I think we, we would all say that if you had to pick the Mariners or the, or the Astros, you're probably picking the Astros to eventually get it all together and win that division. But I think you could definitely argue that the Mariners can at least stay with them and definitely be a wild card team. You add Kimbrell and Keuchel, that to me would be fascinating. I don't know why nobody wants them. Once we hear that, I guess I'll know why he, they haven't signed with, with a legitimate team because it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Kyle is a decent pitcher. Again, he's not a great guy, but he's a decent pitcher. And Kimbrough is still an elite closer. I, so uh, I think we need to find out why everyone is so down on, on these two guys. Or maybe they just got fed up. Maybe they said, screw it. We're all set. We, we, we filled in our budgets. We don't have any more money. So unless you take a one-year deal, you're going to be a free agent for the entire season. That could be the case, too. Mm. All right, so uh, t- speaking about the Mariners that you brought up, uh, so it looks like uh, you know, from reading your article that you think that maybe Dan Vogelback and uh, Jay Bruce kind of going in slightly different directions, right? Sounds like you're a little uh, not as high on uh, Vogelback as a lot of uh, people are off the waiver wire. And uh, Jay Bruce, it looks like you're, you're thinking that maybe that, that 179 batting average uh, is uh, – going to climb to his more uh, career norm. He's already got the seven home runs, but uh, t- talk about that, please. Yeah, when, when, I, when George kind of recruited me to go to, over to rotoexperts.com when we first started working together and when Roto Experts started to expand, uh, I followed prospects. That was basically my specialty. And so when I look at a Vogelbach, even when he was drafted, this guy doesn't run. 
He doesn't. He, he's a good batter, and he has some power. But as far as a fancy guy, he profiles on the low end for a first baseman. You know, if he was a middle infielder or something, then you can get away with 25 home runs, something like that. But he's, a, he's more of a 20 to 25 home run guy than a 30 to 35 or even 40 home run guy. Now, I realize first base is thinner now, so you don't, the, you don't need as much uh, production in order to be a viable first baseman than, than used to be the case five years ago, but definitely 10 years ago. But he just doesn't profile as a 30 home run guy. You add the fact that he plays half of his games in Seattle, which obviously is not a very good hitter's park, uh, and, and I just don't see him getting to the thir- at least 30, never mind 35 or 40. Now, he's got six already, so it looks like he's well on his way, but he's batting 424. He's going to drop probably <laughs> down to 270, so he's got 150 points of drop in his batting average coming. You can't tell me that the home runs aren't going to reduce when he's making less contact. So for me, he just doesn't have the ceiling or the profile to be that elite guy. So I would be selling him if anyone is offering. The one thing is a lot of times people want these guys, but they don't offer anything real. And so if they're giving you nothing, then you keep them and hope for something later. But I'm not spending my entire FAB budget on him, and I don't see the ceiling there to really be an elite player for the entire season. Bruce, on the other hand, again, not an elite guy, but I think he'll hit more home runs. He'll hit for a comparable batting average to Vogelbach. Uh, and he's actually been significantly worse than I expect him to be. He had a terrible year last year, but he's not a 180 hitter. So if he brings his 180 up to even 250, I think he gets to 30 home runs. He hit 33, I believe, in 2017. He hit 36 in 2016, or vice versa. It might have been the other way around. So I'm expecting 30 home runs from Bruce. You got him for nothing in the draft, and I expect more contact, and I expect him to be better. So even if the Mariners regress, he is still going to get better as a player and so I think 30 home runs, even 35, is a safer bet for him. And I think it's much less likely for, Vo- for Vogelbach. Well, Chris, we want to thank you so much for joining us, especially on your vacation down in uh, Virginia. So, uh, <laughs> listen, real quick, let us know where we can find you. You can find me over there on Twitter, at CJMitch73. Uh, I write over, like you said, over at Fantrack.com. I try to do as many as three articles a week. I do a hitter planner, which should be posted now. I try to do uh, you know, a notes and trends worthy kind of thing where I update people on, on what's going on. I don't talk about the best players because they know that already. But I try to just let you know that so-and-so isn't running or so-and-so is hitting to give you an idea of what you should be doing. I do that for the, I try to do that for the hitters, and I try to do that for the pitchers as well. So keep an eye out at Fantrax.com for those articles. So about three a week. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. This is the Weekend Fantasy Update. George Galina. Thanks, George Galina. Joe Galina and George Kurtz. We'll be back. <laughs> 